Hi, this is Dan. Thanks for listening to my podcast. I trust that it'll encourage you and build your faith. If you'd like to connect with me further, visit my website at revivalnow.com. You can find me on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at RevivalNowDanSteep and Twitter at RevivalNowDan. You can also download the Revival Now app. Enjoy the podcast and share it with a friend. Welcome to the Dan Steep Podcast. I'm Dan Steep, and I'm excited about this episode. I'm going to be laying out a biblical defense of the gift of healing. Now, this is not, uh, I'm not laying the, the entire biblical foundation for healing, but I'm going to take the two main arguments that I hear floating out there against healing and give a biblical defense of the gift of healing. So let's dive into it. Uh, right before I share these two main arguments with you, uh, I have a quote, and I don't even know who to attribute it to, but I know who I heard it from, but it didn't originate with him. Uh, He said that a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. I thought that was really good. I think what, what I would say is that a man with a biblical experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Even if it's a biblical argument, because we, we find that people use the Bible and use scriptures to uh, bring out whatever it is they want them to mean. And we're going to see a good example of that when we get into the first uh, argument against healing today. But a man with a biblical experience is not at the mercy of a man with an argument, even if it's a biblical argument, no matter how persuasive that person might be. So let's dive into it. The first argument against healing today is uh, what, what we call cessationism. Cessationism comes from the word uh, to cease, and what cessationists say, because it's really a, a school of thought, so to speak, they say, those that believe in cessationism say that the Holy Spirit has ceased his operation of apostolic gifts in the New Testament, and that those gifts faded out through church history. Now, mind you, they won't have any strong scriptural support for that, but that's what they believe. It's a very weak argument with no real scriptural support. And what I mean by no real scriptural support, you're going to see that they do kind of these scriptural calisthenics to um, arrive, you know, it's like the math doesn't add up what they do with scripture to arrive at an argument that supports their theory. They use little story arguments. And what I mean by story arguments is there's a scripture um, where the Apostle Paul says, Trophimus, I left sick. So apparently Trophimus was sick, and Paul, the Apostle Paul left him and went on his journey to do whatever his ministry assignment was, and 
they say that, okay, because Paul left Trophimus sick, that supports uh, the idea that the cessationist theory is true. Or there's uh, Timothy's stomach problems, where the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach. And that's all he said, was take a little wine from your stomach for your stomach. And from these two statements, mind you, the Apostle Paul, as well as the Bible as a whole, in no way speaks or tells us that the the gifts of the uh, of the the apostolic gifts um, faded, that their operation ceased. You won't get that. There's no scripture that actually says that or anything to that effect. So people with a cessationist view have come to the Bible with their own preconceived thought process or belief system, and then they sought to find little pieces of quote-unquote evidence that they could string together to support their argument. People who believe in the cessationist theory either have done that, or they're just people who have just believed what other people with fancy letters behind their names have said, and they just believe that they're the experts, so it must be true. Another scripture that they use is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 10. And um, I always tell myself I'm going to pull that up, and I'm just going to turn there. It'll make the, the argument a lot stronger and more easily to understand. So in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 10, the apostle says, But when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away with. So the apostle Paul is talking about how here on earth we see through a, a mirror or a window dimly, but when we're in heaven, we'll see face to face. And everyone understands that the Apostle Paul is talking about heaven. But this is what the cessationists believe about 1 Corinthians 13, is that Verse, uh, particularly verse 10, where it says, But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. They say that that which is perfect is the Bible, is the canon of Scripture, which did not exist when the Apostle Paul was writing and living and ministering. There was no grouping of accepted writings that were pulled together to be the Bible as we know it today. So he's saying that 1 Corinthians 13.10 refers to things ceasing when the Bible is fully brought together. When it's clearly, if you look contextually, it's very clear that the Apostle Paul is talking about things ceasing when we get to heaven. So to interpret that in a way that would... would would mean what the, the cessationists believe, would mean the author contradicted himself. And we know that the Holy Spirit is the ultimate author of the Bible. 
So where does the Bible say that once you have the full Bible, as we know it, that God changes? In fact, the Bible says that God changes not, and that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So why and how would God himself change once we had what we call the canon of Scripture, or the rule, the measuring of these Scriptures, or these uh, books or letters in the Bible that we have, that we have pulled together and call the Bible. As I said, the cessationist argument is very weak, and there's no, not only there, is there no strong scriptural support for it, but you actually have to weave together these scriptures out of context to make them say something that no scripture anywhere in the Bible actually says. So that's the cessationism argument. And the second argument that I hear a lot floating around out there against the gift of healing is that healings today take place by demonic power. That if you see or experience uh, healing supernatural healing by, by a means that is not natural. So it's not you went to the doctor and took some pills and you got better. We're talking about biblical, the operation of the biblical gift of healing. People that are against that will say that healings take place today by demonic power. And I was actually told that one time. I had someone tell me, after I had prayed for a man and God healed his lungs, this other person told me that that happened by demonic power. That's quite a strong statement, and I, I won't um, defend myself from the standpoint of what God has done in my life and how long I've lived for Him and served Him. Let me just make the case from Scripture alone. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 5, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Uh, the Scripture says, beginning of verse 2, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Verse 4, Jesus told them, Go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Now, why did Jesus answer John's disciples that way? He's telling them, if you're looking for evidence, don't just take my word for it. In other words, he's saying, in other words, he's saying I, I could just tell you that I'm he. But you might still question that. So don't make your, don't draw your conclusion from what I say. Draw your conclusion from what I do. So he said, go back and tell John what you've seen. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life. The good news is being preached to the poor. 
He's saying, if you're looking for evidence, here it is. Now, if the devil could do the same works, there'd be no reason for Jesus to point to those things as the evidence of who he is, the Messiah. Remember, Jesus is fully God. Fully God and fully man. It's the incarnation that God became flesh in the earth to save us from our sin. And as we know from Scripture, to heal our bodies. If the devil could duplicate the works of Jesus, Jesus wouldn't have pointed to his works as the evidence of who he is. In essence, he said, these physical miracles are the valid proof that I am the Messiah. If the devil can do, you know, can also do these things, then Jesus was wasting his time making the point the way that he made it. The devil is a created being. He is not the creator. Jesus is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. Jesus would not have made his point this way if the devil could do what God can do. Jesus is saying, if you see me doing those things, it's proof that I'm the Messiah, the Messiah. And that's why he answered the question the way that he did. Now, in Matthew chapter 12, I want to make this argument even further from Scripture. And it's going to require me to read to you a few verses, so I want you to hang in there with me. But this is Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 37. And again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. He healed the man so that he could both speak and see. The crowd was amazed and asked, Could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah? Now let me stop and say that's quite a miracle, by the way. Demon-possessed man who was both blind and he couldn't speak. Now, when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and replied, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he's divided and fighting against himself. His own known kingdom will not survive. And if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too. So they will condemn you for what you've said. But if I'm casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Anyone who isn't with me or opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, 
which you will never be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, either in this world or in the world to come. A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes, how could you evil men, how could evil men like you speak of what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. May God bless the reading of his word. So Jesus is just laying it on them. And it's important as we read these words to understand the audience that Jesus was speaking to. These were hard-hearted, stiff-necked Pharisees, religious, hypocritical leaders who had an agenda. They had an agenda because because Jesus was threatening their religious system by the power of God working through him. So the reason I'm saying this to you is some people will read what Jesus had to say and they'll apply it to themselves as, as though Jesus is really mean and really harsh and he doesn't love them. But that's, that's out of context. Jesus was writing these words to some hypocritical, corrupted religious leaders who had an agenda against him. And whenever Jesus spoke to these Sadducees and Pharisees and scribes and hypocritical religious leaders, he always spoke to them in harsh terms. But whenever Jesus spoke to people who were hurting, who needed help, or were sincerely uh, seeking him, he had a completely different tone, a gentleness, a compassion about him. So keep that in mind when you read what Jesus says. Always pay attention to who he was speaking to. Now, there are those people today who are hard-hearted, hypocritical religious leaders, and for those, these words are for them. So it's just a little caveat that I wanted to throw in there. But Jesus was saying, the devil won't work against himself or else his kingdom won't stand. And he used a town or a country divided against itself in civil war. It's doomed. Or a family that's splintered will fall apart. Jesus is saying that the devil's not going to get people sick and then heal them so that they can go on and glorify God for their healing. He's not going to work against himself. So your argument that I and healing people by the power of Satan or Beelzebul is it's not logical, for one thing. Now, the devil does try to get people sick 
But that's the end of it. Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And then Jesus said, but I've come that you would have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is the one who gives life abundantly, including healing for your body. Satan is not interested in that all, at all. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus goes on to say, if, if that's what I'm doing, if I'm healing people by the power of the devil, what about your exorcists? What are they doing? They won't be pleased with what you're saying. What about yours? If, here's what he said. If I'm empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too. So they will condemn you for what you've said. So Jesus lays it out very, very clearly and plainly. God does not heal Jesus, his followers, because Jesus gave us that same power and authority, lest you think, because some people will say, well, that's Jesus, but that doesn't mean that that's for us and that applies to today, but it certainly does. Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. Now here it is. This is Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18. These signs will follow those who believe. This is Jesus talking. He said, in my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Jesus said nothing about this supernatural power of God working through his believers somehow fading away. If it is faded away, it is faded away because of a lack of belief in the body of Christ. People who do not put their true faith and trust in what God's word says. That's the only way it can fade away. And we see that evidence today by people who have put their faith and who do fully believe in the truth of God's word. Guess what's happening in them and through them? The power of God's being manifest. Bodies are being healed. Eyes are seeing. Ears are being opened. And we see that in our ministry routinely as we minister. And, and we do a lot of ministry in other countries. Let me, let me dispel an argument that I, I've, I've even said myself in my own ignorance, and I've heard other people say it and continue to say it. Well, they'll say, well, that's because you're, you're ministering in these third world countries, and uh, those people, um, they need God, and they know it, and they're desperate, and they, just, they believe God, and they cling to Him, and so God moves more in those places. But I was recently, just last week, I attended the meetings of a very gifted uh, evangelist who has a, a profound miracle ministry. And, and he's from India, where he experienced just truly amazing miracles 
in his ministry there. Now he's in America. He lives and ministers here because he loves America, and he wants to see America saved, and he doesn't want to see America go down this demonic antichrist direction that people are trying to take it. And this is what he said. He said, I've seen way more miracles in America than I ever saw in India. And listen, it's not population because India is a highly populated people with billions of people. So he didn't see more miracles there because of population. America has less population. And he said he sees way more miracles in America. And this is what he said. The reason is there's more sick people in America. Because what's taken place through our our food chain, water supply, and through Western medicine that has does not have a goal to heal people. Western medicine is not interested in healing you. It's interested in keeping you sick so that the government can control you and they can make as much money off of you as they possibly can before you die. So there are not more miracles taking place in foreign lands. Now, when we go there and minister, we do see many, many miracles. But I see miracles here. And I have for years. By my hands. Power of God working through me. So that I just want to debunk that, that mindset and that thought that God is somehow uh, moving and working in other parts of the world more than he is here. No, the Bible says God is no respecter of persons. What he'll do for one, he'll do for another. He's not just an Africa God or an India God, different from the God that he is in America. He's omnipresent. But his manifest presence, which is his healing power, it is dependent only upon the belief of the one working the miracle. Yes, Jesus does talk about people having faith and belief. And just like the woman who had an issue of blood for 13 years and was healed, her faith made her well. So the faith of the one being healed or receiving the miracle is important. But God will heal you even if you don't believe. There's many illustrations in Scripture. He'll honor the faith of the one who is ministering to you. So let me jump ahead here. In John chapter 10, verse 38, Jesus said, But if I do this work, if I do his work, right, the Father's work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I've done, even if you don't believe me. Let me repeat that. Even if you don't believe me, Believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done. Then you will know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. So there you have it. Believe in the works that you've seen him do. Don't ride the fence. Believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done. It's not enough to just acknowledge that God can heal, that God is able to heal, that God does heal. You have to believe in it. It's not enough to just say, I believe that he can, and then do nothing with it. 
It's not even enough to say that I believe that he will heal, and he does heal today, and then do nothing with it. That's riding the fence. That's just religious talk. Telling people what uh, you think they want to hear so that they'll accept you or whatever. That's not good enough to just say it and then have nothing to do with it and believe nothing for it for your own life. You can actually get in the flow of God's supernatural miracle healing. Jesus said in John 14, verses 12 through 14, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me, there's that word again, believes, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. And then he states it again in unequivocal terms. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. People try to get, this is very straightforward. Jesus made it very clear. He's getting ready to ascend to heaven, and we know that he ascended to heaven so that the Holy Spirit could come and indwell us and baptize us in the Holy Ghost and so that we could take God with us wherever we go. When Jesus was on the earth, the presence of God was where he went. But because he ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit came and, and baptizes every one of us, right? The Bible, the Apostle Paul said, don't you know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? And God dwells in you. That means wherever you go, God goes. Whoever you pray for and minister to, the power of God is there to operate. That's the manifest presence of God operating in and through those who believe. That's what Jesus said. These signs will follow those who believe. Now, people will try to get around this very clear, direct statement by Jesus in John 14 by, by invoking God's sovereign decree. They'll say, yes, well, God does heal today, but only by his sovereign decree. Only when God so chooses to do. But the Bible says, God is no respecter of persons. That is to say, God holds nothing back from anyone. Anything you see God doing for another person is available for you. Now, we have uh, um, on-demand content that's available beyond this podcast. You can go to our YouTube playlist at Revival Now Dan Steep. You can go and look up the playlist that we have about healings and miracles, and there's at least 14 videos that I've already released on this subject. Check it out. Build your faith. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So listen to some good, faith-filled, biblically-balanced teachings about healing, about miracles. And you can find that on, on, you can download the Revival Now app and have access to all of our on-demand content. You can um, go to our website at revivalnow.com, and you can access all of our 
on-demand content. Now, it's not as clear and easy on Facebook uh, at Revival Now Dan Steep, but if you want to, you know, thumb through until you get to everything, it is there. So we, we've made this available to you. And this is my challenge to anyone that listens to this podcast. If you have a case, if you have a case to make against healing and miracles, against the gift of healing, or anything else for that matter, make your case from Scripture. In other words, and I don't mean the kind of weak case that the cessationists have somehow strung together with isolating some verses or pieces of verses and pulling them all together to, to, to support what they want to believe. Don't make a case like that. Allow the Word of God to speak for itself. Make your case scripturally. Don't make a case like so many people do from stories. Well, I know a story, or I heard a story, or this happened, and you know, listen, that doesn't matter. What does the Bible say? What did Jesus say? Make your case from Scripture, not from man's arguments or man's stories. Some of those stories may be true or could have some truth with them, but you must allow the Bible to speak and ring more clearly and loudly than any other voice. Make your case from Scripture. Don't just label me and write me off. God, God's Word works in my life because I believe it. I believe it, and it's not enough to just believe it. I believe it, and I act upon it by faith. That's why James said, faith without works is dead. You've got to act upon what you believe. And if you won't speak it and you won't act upon it, you don't really believe it. It will work for you if you believe. Romans 1.16, the Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God to everyone who believes. That's why I'm not ashamed of it. And I will unapologetically defend the Word of God and defend everything that is available to us and revealed to us in the Word. John chapter 10, verses 25 through 29. I share this scripture as we bring this podcast episode to a close. Jesus replied, I've already told you, and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name. But you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. If you're having trouble truly believing what God's Word says, even the very words of Jesus on this subject of the gift of healing or any other. Take inventory. 
Are you truly a part of his flock? Jesus said, you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I would add, they follow, to, to say that they follow me, when Jesus said they follow me, he's saying they follow me in everything I say and in everything I do. Some people tune into podcasts like this, and you're not actually the sheep of God. You're not a part of his flock because you've never actually asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and come into your heart. I want to make this opportunity to believe. I want to make it available for those who have never actually accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, or for those who profess to be Christian, but you find that there's a breakdown between your profession and actually believing what Jesus says. You see, the gospel message is very simple. God is holy, and he's holy by nature. It's his very nature. He couldn't change it if he wanted to. And we're sinful by nature. We were born into a condition of sin. And because of that, we can't save ourselves because of our position as sinful beings. So God took the initiative to remedy our condition. He sent His only Son, Jesus, who died on a cross to bridge the gap between the holiness of God and the unholiness of man. And all you have to do is recognize you've sinned, repent of that sin, and receive by faith the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Recognize. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's all of humanity. When I recognize that my sin is what is actually killing me, and that it's not just killing me, but it's killing those around me, those close to me, and that the only way to peace is through faith in Jesus Christ. Once I'm willing to humble myself and acknowledge my sin, then I can repent of that sin. Jesus said you'll perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. To repent means to change. Change your mind, change your direction, change your lifestyle. So once you've recognized you've sinned and you're willing to repent of that sin, all that's left is to receive, to commit your heart to him by faith. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I'd like to offer a simple prayer of salvation as we bring this podcast to a close. And if you repeat this prayer after me from a place of sincerity in your heart, you can know this very day that you're saved, you're born again, you're on your way to heaven, and you're a part of the flock of God. Would you pray that prayer with me? You can do it right now. Just repeat these words. Say, Heavenly Father, I admit that I've sinned. I believe Jesus died for my sin, and he rose from the grave to give me victory over sin and death. I confess my sinfulness. I repent. Please forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and make me a new person. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you prayed that prayer together with me, welcome to the family of God. I'm very proud of you. You've just made the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. If you prayed that prayer with me, please go to our website at RevivalNow.com. RevivalNow.com. You'll find a big red button on the front page of our website that says, I just got saved. Please click that button, and it'll take you to a place where you can fill out your contact information. And if you'll fill out your contact information, we're going to send some resources to you to help you get started in your Christian life. And we'll pray for you by name. And you have my assurance that your contact information won't be used for anything other than that. You won't find your way onto our newsletter mailing list unless you subscribe to it yourself. So go to RevivalNow.com, click I Just Saved, I Just Got Saved, and follow the prompts from there. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Thanks for looking me up. I appreciate uh, you taking the time to dig into some good biblical teaching. One thing you could do for me, share this podcast with your friends and help me get the word out about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much. Until next time, be blessed in Jesus' name.